We are finishing up our series through the book of Galatians this morning. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 6, uh, verses 11 through 18. So if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and turn there in uh, your blue pew Bible under your chair. That's on 975. It's been a long trek, but it's been a good trek. I've enjoyed studying God's Word and giving you what I find, church. It's a privilege for me. Uh, we are finishing this series this morning, and I pray that the Holy Spirit has used His Word and has met you where you've been over these past several weeks to minister to you in the ways that you've needed it. I ask, and I've been praying that, and I trust that the Lord will use His Word to do that. I pray He does the same thing for you this morning as we close out this book, as we close out Paul's letter in the final verses of of chapter 6. So without further ado, we're going to jump in to Galatians chapter 6. Follow along with me as I read the final verses, verse 11 through verse 18. Paul writes this. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation." And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think that the main point, our final main point in the book of Galatians for this text is this. New creation counts for everything for the people of God. New creation counts for everything for the people of God. And we're going to do that in five points this morning. We're going to walk through those as we go. The first point is an overarching point. It's the point of the entire text. I want to just spend some time on this. First point. New creation counts for everything. New creation counts for everything. I believe verses 15 through 16 are the culmination, the summary statement, if you will, of all of what Paul has tried to make clear in this entire letter to the Galatian churches. Look there with me, verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation, by implication, counts for everything. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Remember back with me to chapter 1, where grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ alone are given. They can be found no place else, in no one else, but in the Lord Jesus. And we find that the Judaizers were bringing a different gospel than this one. A gospel of slavery to the present evil age. An age that we need to be freed from. An age that keeps every one of us in bondage to the world, to the flesh, and to the devil. We find in Paul's arguments that this present evil age, or the old age, if you will, is characterized by trying to work your way to heaven, by trying to earn your standing before God. In Paul's terms, 
to be justified by works. We, we also find this evil age, this old age, is characterized by various works of the flesh, people acting on the desires of their flesh whenever, wherever, however they want. And in all these ways, the human race is bound in their sin and in their darkness, stuck in this evil age. And if left to our own devices, we would be forever lost. So what is the answer? How do we get out of slavery? How do we find freedom from this slavery? Paul gives us the answer. The only way to be freed from this present evil age is through the one true gospel, the gospel that he proclaimed at first to the churches. The only way to be freed from this old age is to be crucified with Jesus at the cross. The old age in me, the old man himself, needs to die on the tree where Christ paid my death penalty. The only answer to overcoming sin is by dying. The gospel that tells us Jesus lived the perfect life in our place, fulfilling all righteousness. He laid his life down in our place to pay our penalty of death that we all owe because of our sin. And then he rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death forever. Sin and death are now under Jesus's feet. He holds the power of resurrection life in his hands. He's the king. He's the Lord. He's ascended to the right hand of the father. He sits in his throne in heaven. And when he did this, his first order of business was to pour out his life-giving Holy Spirit on all those who would trust in him for life, his church. We're justified by faith in Christ alone. And Paul has made it clear that the Holy Spirit of God comes in and makes us alive together with Jesus. We died with him, and by faith, we are now alive with him. Think about what Jesus said. Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being born again, being born of the Spirit, similar language, it happens by faith. We are made new. In other words, we are a New creation. New creation counts for everything because new creation is necessary if we desire to be free from this present evil age, free from the elementary principles of the world. New creation is necessary if we desire to be children of God, if we desire to be part of God's family, if we want to do what is right and honor God with our lives, we need to be made new. Are you a new creation this morning? It's not enough to try to clean yourself up from the dirt that you're in and try to live different. You got to be made new completely. Even the language is important. New creation. Because this is our eschatological hope. It's, it's a big word just meaning the end that is coming. The, this inauguration that Christ has brought in through his death, burial, and resurrection. This new age that he has brought in from the already, the not yet. All things then including us, will be made new. And we get a taste of that right now. Christ has made us new now by faith. And what's amazing about the gospel is that when Christ ascended and sent us his spirit, as we've seen in Galatians, the spirit is the evidence that the new age has begun right now. New creation right now. The power of the present evil age is crucified at the cross. That means the old is gone, the new has come. The Spirit himself is our guarantee that we will live new creation lives today as we await the new creation in the end when Jesus makes all things new. 
And with that being said, I want to point out really clearly, new creation runs like a thread throughout Galatians. None of this is possible if Christ does not make us new by his spirit, but the comforting reality is that he has made us new, he does make us new, and he will make us new for those who trust him by faith. So let me ask you, who are you trusting for freedom this morning? The Apostle Paul loves these churches, and church Jesus loves our churches. And he's preserved this so that we can see this and read this and revel in his glory and his goodness. He is teaching us from his word that what matters most in the kingdom of God is whether or not someone is a new creation. Because answering that question answers all the rest of the questions. You can start back from chapter one. Here, let's follow here. How do I receive the grace and peace of God? New creation. What is Paul's gospel? New creation. What makes me right with God? New creation. How do I know I'm a member of God's family? New creation. How do I know I'll inherit the God's, with God's family? New creation. How do I know I'll honor God without the law? New creation. How do I know I won't go off and do whatever the flesh wants? New creation. How do I know I will love the brothers? New creation. New creation counts for everything. So then we come to verse 11, and Paul says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, it's interesting, during Paul's time, they often dictated letters out loud, and there was someone else called an amanuensis who wrote it out. They, these were people who were skilled in transcribing oral dictation. They just wrote people's speeches for a living. Have you ever tried to write down word for word when somebody was speaking? It's pretty difficult, especially if you're trying to write down word for word when I'm speaking. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So don't try that, because that is a recipe for a carpal tunnel for sure. I don't want that for you. But they trained people to do this, to write down when people dictated. And Paul would often have someone write his letters out for him. If, if you just scan a few of his letters, you can see uh, there will come a point at the end of these letters where he writes something like, I write this with my own hand, or, or this greeting I write with my own hand. That's because Paul, in those moments, would ask for the pen, and it would write down the ending himself. And this, verses 11 through 18, is where Paul takes the pen from the amanuensis, and he writes the ending himself. Now, what does that mean? Why is that important? Well, it means that what Paul says here was important enough to reiterate that Paul wanted it to be in his own handwriting. It adds emphasis, doesn't it not? He's making a point. What tasks, uh, what tasks are the ones that you want to take in your own hands? The ones that you deem are the most important, right? So Paul takes this into his own hands. He does, though, does this here in order to be crystal clear to the church about the issues that they're facing and what matters most of all. And right in the middle of everything, verse 15 through 16, what matters most of all in this letter is that one is a new creation. Connecting it back with the, the flow of the last few weeks, we can ask this question. How do we become a new creation? Well, the answer is it's not by works of the law. And it's also not by living however you want to without the law, but through faith in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit. And once you've been made into a new creation, what does that mean for you? That's the question I want to spend the rest of our time answering this morning. What does it mean for us that we're a new creation if it means everything? It means four things, I think, in the context of Galatians 6 the last few verses here. The first thing that it means is this. New creation means a new boast. Verses 12 through 14. It means a new boast. 
If Paul hasn't already made the danger of the Judaizers and their message clear enough, Paul picks up the pen and coins yet another warning to watch out and reject those who would preach a gospel contrary to the one that Paul has already preached. Now, we know their gospel is not a gospel at all. Gospel means good news, right? Well, Hearing that you're in slavery to sin, you're in slavery to darkness, that doesn't sound like good news at all. Hearing that you're enslaved to sin and death, slaved to this evil age, that's not good news. That's pretty bad news. So Paul warns the church about their true colors, what their actual message is and what their actual motivation is. So verse 12, we find the actual message that these Judaizers preach, and it's the message of the works of the flesh. Look at verse 12. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Now notice the message. The message is not Christ-exalting, Christ-centered. It's me-centered, man-centered. Jesus is not at the front and the center where he belongs. They are at the front and center, and their desired end is something you do that they can now boast in because you did it and they're responsible for it. Making a good showing in the flesh is not a good thing because no good thing comes from the flesh. In our flesh, we are lost and hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. We need Jesus to come in and cleanse us from the inside. Give us not a heart of stone, but renew it and make it a heart of flesh. You can't just scrape off the stone and think you're going to live like new. We need to be completely transformed. And we've seen in Galatians, we, we can see it in its entirety in the scriptures, God alone is good. Nothing good comes from the flesh. And at the end of verse 12 and verse 13, we actually find the motivations behind them preaching this message. Look what it says. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Verse 12, we see their motivation for self-preservation. They want to avoid persecution for the cross of Christ. Self, hear me, self-preservation is old age slavery way of thinking. There's false hope in self-preservation. The truth is, is that we are weak on our own. We need strength from outside of us, a strength that only God provides. Otherwise, we find ourselves self, uh, we find that our self-preservation actually disintegrates into fear, into anxiety, into bitterness, Self-preservation doesn't preserve us at all. It takes those imaginary walls that we created that we thought would protect us, and it turns them into a prison that holds us in and isolates us and starves us spiritually. That's what self-preservation does. And in verse 13, we see their motivation for self-exaltation. They want to boast in the flesh of somebody else to make themselves look good. Notice the folly of that. They're forcing people to do something that they themselves don't even do. They don't even keep the law because they can't keep the law. In fact, no one can keep the law, which is what Paul has been saying from the beginning, which is why Christ came in the first place to free us from that slavery because nobody can do it. The Judaizers are living in slavery. And in their slavery, they're seeking to enslave others in the process for the sake of what? Worldly gain? Worldly accolade? Their names on on the praises of other people's lips? What means everything to them is the size of their ministry. Look out for people like this. What means everything to them is how many converts they're making. What means uh, everything to them is they don't care about the burdens of others. They care about other people carrying their burdens, the burdens that they've placed on other people's neck that they've shrugged off their own neck, burdens that they couldn't even carry themselves. They've done a good job of disregarding the burden of the law themselves. They don't even keep it. What they care about is acceptance from the world. 
What they care about is people-pleasing, acceptance from the people who hold the greatest places in their heart, who they look up to, not Jesus. The easy life without problems, that's what they desire. So they say, just do whatever you got to do to achieve that ease, and you'll be fine. But again, self-exaltation, that's old age thinking. That's slavery thinking. If you believe that the easy, comfortable life is the good life, you are enslaved to a delusion. The Lord tells us to wake up. Comfortability in the world might just reveal to us that we've, we've put ourselves and our desires higher on our list than the cross of Christ, than the gospel. What do you desire this morning? On the other hand, Paul introduces a new boast, a boasting that's not in the flesh, but in the cross of Christ alone. Look at verse 14. He says, but, contrary to everything they're doing, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world's been crucified to me and I to the world. Notice Paul's message was the cross of Christ, not works of the flesh. The cross was his boast. Notice, it's not wrong to boast. He says, far be it from me to boast, except. The problem is not the boasting. The problem is what they're boasting in. Do you boast in the cross? The scriptures tell us that this cross, think about this. The cross was, was scandalous, right? We say it's a stumbling block to the Jews. It was, it was senseless to the Gentiles. They don't understand it. But why is that? Why do the scriptures say that? Well, it's not simply because of our message that Jesus rose from the dead. That does add to it. But it's because we revel in a cross. Think about this. A cross was a Roman torture device. And we boast in it. We lose this sense in our modern day where we've got people wearing cross necklaces. They're tatted up with crosses. They got crosses on display outside of churches and in buildings. They got crosses everywhere. It would actually be equivalent of us today taking around lethal injection necklaces and wearing them in, in, like it's in fashion. Or wearing electric chairs around our neck and t-shirts with electric chairs and people in the chairs on them. You look at people like that and you think, what is wrong with them? Why are they doing that? Well, this is what it's like wearing the cross. Boasting in the cross. Why would they do that? This man was crucified on a Roman torture device. Paul says his boast is the cross where our Lord Jesus was crucified. And we know that's his boast. That his boast is there because that's the cross where he said in chapter 2 verse 20. What did he say? He was crucified with Jesus there. The old man was crucified. The old age was put to death in Paul, and Paul was made new where he, Paul, was crucified with Jesus by faith. It is a picture of freedom, where it's no longer Paul that lives, but Christ living in Paul now, so that the new creation life that Paul now lives, he lives by faith in the Son of God, who loved him and gave himself up for him. Do you know that the cross, as horrific as a device as it is, is a sign of God's grace to us. Grace, mercy. It's a visible emblem of God's mercy poured out on us through the blood of Jesus. It is, in a picture, the message of salvation that, that Jesus loved us and he gave himself 
up for us at whatever the cost. That is why new creation people, we boast in the cross of Christ. Whether Jews think it's a stumbling block or Gentiles think it's senseless, they might look at it and see nothing, but we look at it and see our salvation because we're a new creation. Because Jesus paid it all and to all to him we owe. There's no new life that any of us have that we did not first receive when Jesus purchased it on that tree. Do you boast in the cross? Do you boast in the cross? Remember the message of the cross, and that alone will cause you to revel and boast in the cross all the more. What is the message? The cross is where the crimson blood of Jesus washed away the stain of sin in our hearts and made us white as snow. Not because any one of us earned it or deserved it, but because Jesus loved you and he did it. We also see Paul's motivation. His motivation was that the world was crucified to him and he to the world. That's new creation. That's freedom in Christ thinking. This isn't old age thinking, okay? This is Christ-centered, gospel-focused, cross-proclamation. Paul knows, and we now know, he's free. He's free from the world, free from temptation, free from the bondage of sin and death. He knows in Christ alone he's free, and he wants to make it clear to the church that, that what might look horrific, what, like, what might look like torture, what might look like the end of somebody's row, what might look scary, actually spells out our redemption, our freedom, our newness of life in Jesus. This, all this, is contrary to the mind of the world, contrary to the mind of the Judaizers. It's the mind of the old age. It's the mind that is passing away. New creation requires a new way of thinking, which leads us to a new boast. We're not boasting in our flesh. We're boasting in the cross. The cross of Christ is our boast, and what looks like foolishness to the world is actually our glory. So let me ask you this morning, which of these two pictures aligns with your message and your motivation this morning? Is it the Judaizer side? Is your message one of flesh? Is, is your motivation one of self-exaltation and preservation? What message do you find yourself believing then? And what message do you find yourself proclaiming? What is your motivation for either? Is it Jesus? At the core of it all, if you are a new creation, you don't live in the old anymore. You do proclaim the new message with the message's new motivations because your boast isn't in how good you are or how good someone else is because of you and, and what you've done in their life on God's behalf. Your boast isn't in your works, what you believe you deserve from God. Your boast isn't the purposes, for the purposes of self-exaltation or getting on the world's good side. Your boast is in the cross of Christ where you died. And Jesus was exalted. It's Jesus' righteousness. It's Jesus' life. It's Jesus' gift to me and you to be able to do what the law requires by his spirit. So hear me, boasting is not wrong. It just depends on where you're boasting. Are you boasting in the Lord or are you boasting in the flesh, your accomplishments, what you feel like you earned from God? or how much you've prayed, or how much you've read, or how much you've done this week. Put it all to the side and boast in Jesus. Boast in the cross. What else does new creation mean? Here's number two. New creation means a new life. 
This is a brief point because it's a reiteration of everything we've talked about in Galatians. Look at verse 14 with me again. Paul says he boasts in the cross because it was at the cross that the world was crucified to him and he to the world. 15, for neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but a new creation. Again, thinking back to what Paul says in chapters 1 and 2 in connection with this. I think Paul is making it crystal clear that the, the one true gospel, the only gospel, is what makes us a new creation. And it does so for three reasons. One, the gospel brings new creation life. It's the only thing that can. Galatians 2.20, we were crucified with Christ, with him by faith, and we know if we were crucified with him there, when he rose from the dead, we rose with him there. Not only did we die with Jesus, but we rise with Jesus, and we now walk in the newness of life. We receive life and the means for living that life at the cross. How much more should we boast there? That's all the more reason to boast in Jesus. There's no other name on earth by which man can be saved, only Jesus. And Jesus isn't someone who can just offer life and not deliver. Jesus offers life and can deliver because he's the one who laid his life down and rose from the dead so that if you trust him, you can have new life. And he can actually give it to you because he has the power to do so. So if you feel lifeless this morning, ask Jesus. And if you're a Christian, you feel lifeless this morning, ask Jesus for a renewed life. Ask Jesus for, for, the, for the strength to persevere in times of difficulty when you feel lifeless. Number two, the gospel brings new creation desires for righteousness. New creation desires. And I'm getting this from Paul when he says the world was crucified to him. It's almost directional. This means the, any sway the world had in our lives, it's all dead and gone. It all died at the cross. We don't care to make a good showing in the flesh. We don't force other people to work lives of righteousness. We actually desire what is good, what is right, what is pure, whereas before we had no desires like these because we were walking in the flesh. And not only are our desires different in and of themselves now, but our desires are different on behalf of others. We want different things for others. We don't want a bunch of things from others. We desire others to find the freedom that only Christ can offer. Do you desire that? Do you find yourself seeing people as, as lost in the darkness, hopeless, in need of a Savior? And does your heart move for them to know the freedom that they can have in Jesus? Do you want other people to be free like you are? It was a gift, wasn't it? The only reason we love our neighbor in this way is all thanks to the cross of Christ. Through faith in the gospel, we're filled with the Spirit who gives us new desires for what is above, where Christ is, not for things that are below, the things of this world, the present evil age. And we can see in this text that the Judaizers, they, they came promising freedom, but they can't deliver. And that itself is obvious because of their character. They themselves are enslaved. They can't even keep their own law that they're trying to get people to do. They don't even keep the law, Paul says. But guess what? Christ can, Christ did, Christ fulfilled all the law, and Christ can deliver the fulfillment of that law to you by faith. Number three, the gospel brings new creation power for living. New creation power. And I'm getting this from Paul when he says he was crucified to the world. So directionally, the world crucified to him. He's crucified to the world. And then 15, when he follows it up by confirming that work's done, whether they're in a keeping with the law, circumcision, or apart from the law, living without the law, uncircumcision, none of them count for anything because works count for nothing. New creation counts for everything. Paul is saying here, he's not in bondage anymore to anything in this world. Paul is now able to do what is righteous, not simply because he's been set free, 
but because the Spirit now lives in him and gives him the power to live for Jesus. This is just to reiterate that the cross of Christ purchased our freedom, our forgiveness, and it gave us his Spirit so that the power of God in us to love God and love our neighbors like Jesus. Like we talked about the last few weeks, the Spirit is the one who empowers us to do what the law requires without even having it. This is a fulfillment of Ezekiel 36. We just read this morning. Don't, hear me church, don't expect to live a godly life by your own strength. Look at the cross. Being crucified to the world is a clue that we should not rely on the same things for living our life today that we used to rely on, a.k.a. ourselves. Don't rely on yourself to live a godly life. Furthermore, don't rely on others to live a godly life in the sense that you find yourself boasting in what you've done in their flesh. Yeah, we need, it. We need the body of Christ, so in that sense, we do rely on each other. But in this case, not for salvation, not for new creation. We don't rely on something we've done or how we've helped somebody else in terms of a new creation importance. For example, we can't rely on our parents or our siblings, their faithfulness to God to determine if we're right with God. They're relying on, their faithful, they're relying on the Holy Spirit to be faithful to God. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit to be faithful to God. We don't rely on our works to determine our worth or our standing with God. We look at the cross where all of that, even all of our good stuff, which is tainted like filthy rags, all of it was crucified there with Jesus, and we were made new by Jesus, by faith. So what else does new creation mean? Here's another one. New creation means a new people. Verse 16. Paul says this, And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Let's walk through this verse together real quick. When Paul says, walk by this rule, he's talking about verse 15. New creation is the rule. To put it a different way, we could say it like this. All who live out the new creation life. That's walking by the rule. Now to be crystal clear, which I believe is keeping with Paul's desired end here. Walking by this rule means living a life of repentance and trust in Jesus. That's because We're justified by faith in Jesus alone. That's Galatians 2. This is a life kept in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5. Because Christ gives us his Spirit as a seal, and by his power we love God and love neighbor, Galatians 4. Walking by this rule means living like a new creation. It means we have a new lifestyle, a new way of living, and that is every day of the week. It's not just flesh on the weekends and spirit during the week. It's not just living like the old man during the week and the new me on the weekends when everybody sees. It's not one foot on this side and one foot on this side. You're either all in for Jesus or you're not in. You're either all in for Jesus all the time or in some capacity, you're not living like the new creation God created you to be. Are you all in for Jesus? How has your life been looking lately? Do you find yourself living for Jesus, for his pleasure, for his glory, boasting in Christ alone? Or do you find yourself living for your pleasure, your glory, your comfort alone? Friend, if you're there, it's easy. Just turn to Jesus. If you see little areas like that in your life, just turn to him. He's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness 
to cleanse us of all of our sin. To re- he's redeemed us at the cross. We look at the cross where it's finished. It's finished. Even all of our failures now are finished. They've been paid for. We just turn to Jesus afresh. Every time we see it, we just turn to him afresh. And we live our lives for him today. If we are a new creation, think about what Galatians has taught us. We're sons of Abraham. We're the children of promise, Galatians 2. It means we've been made sons of the Father, heirs with Christ, Galatians 3. And as sons and daughters of the Father, it's clear from Galatians 3 that there are no divisions in the body of Christ, the church, even down to what we saw practically last week about bearing burdens and doing good. Paul calls the church the household of faith. He's, he doesn't say it's a divided house. He doesn't, he doesn't say it's multiple peoples. He says it's one new people, a household of faith. A people characterized by peace and mercy. Paul says, peace and mercy be upon those who walk by the new creation rule, which brings us full circle to the first few verses of the letter. What did he say? Peace and mercy come from the one true God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, and, 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 and rest on those sealed by the Spirit, Spirit-filled People, people who boast in the cross, people who are justified by faith in Christ. So because of all this, everything Paul has said in this letter about being one, about being the people of God, even down to his rebuke of the apostle Peter for causing a separation between Jews and Gentiles because of his hypocrisy. With all of this in the background, we get to the end of the verse when he says, and upon the Israel of God. Now, what's Paul saying? I think, it, I think it's quite simple to figure out because he's been saying it for six chapters. New creation is everything. That's what he's saying. Jesus makes us the people of God. The Spirit testifies that we are the people of God. Israel is God's chosen people. In this context, I believe Paul is telling us who the true Israel is. Not those who adhere to law. Not those who pursue works righteousness by the flesh. It's those who are sealed by the Spirit through faith in Jesus. Now, I say that really clearly because there's no little debate around these kinds of verses in the Bible and what the Israel of God means here in the end of Galatians chapter 6. Some people argue, and they reference Romans 9 through 11, that, that um, Paul is distinguishing between what they would say is ethnic, this people of Israel, and true Israel, the people of God, the remnant that God has kept for himself. But remember this, church, when we're reading our Bibles Context is always king. Always look in the the context of the letter. In this context, Paul hasn't mentioned anything about a distinction between ethnic Israel or true Israel. What he has been doing is arguing the whole time why both Jews and Gentiles together are one. United in Christ, justified by faith. Gentiles don't need to become Jews to be saved. They walk by the Spirit, just like Jews don't have freedom to do whatever they want. They should walk by the Spirit. So the point that I think Paul is making here in summary, it's a summary, is who the true people of God really are. Contrary to what the Judaizers have been saying. Who the sons of God are. Who the heirs of God are. Who the true Israel of God is. And that is... Those who walk by this new creation rule. Those who have faith in Jesus and live spirit-empowered lives. The encouragement here for us, I think, is that we are the people of God. We are the people of God. All of us in this room who've repented of our sins and trusted in Jesus. Guess what? I don't think anybody in here is a Jew. I think we're all Gentiles. So if the gospel didn't come to the Gentiles, just think, think back, do a little mental math back to the book of Acts If Peter or Paul never preached the gospel to Gentiles, none of us would ever be in this room. 
So praise be to God that they preach the gospel unapologetically and faithfully to Gentile people because none of us are Jews. I don't think anybody in here is Jewish. But if that's true, apart from the work of Christ, none of us would ever be God's people. None of us. But the Lord has promised that one day, he promised that one day he would call the nations to himself. He would call a people that were not his people, his people. And this is done through the Jewish Messiah, Jesus Christ, the suffering servant, the shepherd who would lead his people, Israel, out of their wilderness wanderings. And who would have thought that the worst wilderness of all was actually inside their chest, bent towards themselves in idolatry for their own good and their darkness. And he would deliver us out of this wilderness of our hearts by giving us hearts of flesh, hearts that were led astray by various passions in our darkness. But guess what? Jesus died and rose, and he gives his people, the Israel of God, new life. We are his people by faith. As his people, we will receive. This is what he's been saying the whole time. We will receive the fulfillment of his promises because the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. And as his people, we will be with him where he is. He will be a king to us and we will be his people provided that we suffer with him, the scriptures say. Which brings us to the last point. What else does new creation mean? Church, new creation means new marks. Verses 17 and 18. Paul says, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul, as we, as we remember, defended his apostleship and his message in the beginning of this letter. And from chapter 4, it seems as if the, the Judaizers were turning the people away from Paul, enough so that, that he was confused how they would show him so much care and love at first and now just abandon him, just turn away from him. And then when he says here, let no one cause me trouble, I think this is where his mind is. He, he is sold out to the gospel. Whatever this message is that the Judaizers are proclaiming, that's not his message. And, and they cannot claim that Paul preaches that same message. And Paul refers to the physical scars on his body as proof that he has nothing to do with that message. He has everything to do with the one true message of Jesus, Christ crucified. Physical evidence that Paul has been persecuted for the cross of Christ. Unlike those Judaizers who actually wish to avoid all persecution whatsoever. Evidence that Paul has suffered for the cross and has continued preaching the same message over and over and over again despite the ever-present and increasing danger that it could happen again and again and again. You know, a child, when he, when he reaches up to the stove and touches the stove and burns his hand, he learns really quick not to touch that stove again. Well, what would drive a man to live a life over and over, blow after blow, for a man named Jesus to the point where he would face a variety of persecutions and scourgings and death over and over and over and never learn his lesson. It's because of who the Lord of his life is. Jesus. Jesus is his Lord. What greater honor. What greater privilege. These marks on Paul's body were from the various times that Paul was physically beaten and persecuted for Jesus. Not to mention the times he was emotionally 
or spiritually wounded, which we have record of in the New Testament. I think of, of uh, 2 Timothy 4 when, when Alexander the, the coppersmith is persecuting Paul for his message. This is what he says. At my first defense, no one came to stand beside me, but all deserted me. Imagine you're facing persecution and every Christian you know leaves you. May it not be charged against them, he said. But then he said, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Or when Paul was abandoned by Demas in the same chapter, he says, for Demas, he come to me soon, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Imagine discipling someone for years just for them to fall in love with the world and leave you like your relationship meant nothing to them. This is what Paul faced regularly. If we think about Paul's battle with the thorn in his flesh even or other, other spiritual battles like anxiety, temptation to fear that he faced, that's tough. Paul viewed the scars, the burns, the bruises, his death experience, all as signet marks of who his Lord was. Not the world, not the flesh, not the devil, not this present evil age, not any elementary principle. It's Jesus worth every single boast, every single slash, every single hit. Jesus is worth it. And this is the language that he uses, one of a slave, a slave who was branded by his master. He's saying that Jesus owns him. Jesus purchased Paul's life at the cross and there's no other way that Paul can live it because Jesus owns him. Jesus owns him. There's no other way that Paul can live for Jesus except in complete service to him. Are you living for Jesus like that? Are you living for Jesus unapologetically, completely in service to him in every way despite the cost? New creation means new marks in the sense of ownership. You do not own your life as a Christian. You don't own it. You were bought by the blood of Jesus with a price, a great price, an eternal price. So if your life is not your own, who should dictate your life? Jesus should dictate your life. Jesus should direct you and guide you and lead you. So if your life is not your own, you should give it to Jesus fully. And finally, do you live your life like Jesus is your master? And I'm not just talking about some days. I'm talking about every day. What do you give yourself over to as a master? Is it Jesus? Because Jesus doesn't just own your life some days. The price he paid, he bought your life for eternity. If you call him Lord, he bought your life for eternity. Do you live like it today? Let me ask you, just just test your heart. What needs to change in your life today if you recognize that you don't live like you're a slave of Jesus? What needs to change? What do you you need to give away, to give to the Lord, to, to confess to the Lord? What do you need to change right now in order to completely surrender every corridor of your life to Jesus? Not just a little over here, not just a little in my job over here, not just Sunday mornings from, from about 1030 to 1230 over here. What would it look like to give your complete life over to Jesus as your master? I'm talking to Christians. Do you live like a slave of Jesus in the workplace, in the home, in the restaurant, on social media, when you talk to your friends, when you talk to your family, when you're here at a church gathering, are you loving people like you're a slave of Jesus? If someone looks at your life, are they going to be able to see that Jesus is the Lord of your life? It's a big question to ask. Because at the cross, Jesus bought us. 
He bought, he purchased a people for his own possession, not to rule over us like our kings and our rulers in this world for the sake of exploiting us and using us for his own advantage. Our Jesus, our Jesus, rules over us in righteousness with strength and love. He's not soft or weak. He's the Lord. And he will expose those areas in our lives that we aren't given over to him. He will expose it because he loves us. And he wants us to look like him, that we might share in his holiness, that we might be where he is. So my encouragement to you, church, is don't wait till he disciplines you. Give it to him today. Ask him what it is today and give it all up to him. Jesus, just just give it to him because he loves you. You love him. Don't be afraid. Nothing is worth it enough to hold on to it and hoard it until the Lord has to discipline it away from you. Give it to him. Give it to him. Cast yourself completely at the feet of Jesus in full service of him as Lord. New creation means new marks in the sense of ownership. But hear me, new creation also means new marks in the sense of persecution and trial. It's because the world views the slave of Christ different. I'm not talking about Christians who are nominal and just do life saying that they're Christians and they make no difference whatsoever. I'm talking about people who are slaves of Jesus. These are the people who will be persecuted. The scriptures say, all who desire to live a godly life, which includes faithful proclamation of the gospel and living for Jesus. So if you're missing something in your Christian life, you are missing something in your Christian life if you're not proclaiming Jesus and living for Jesus. All who desire to live a godly life, it says, will be persecuted. We will be hated by the world. If you chose to follow Jesus because you thought it was going to go well with you in the world, I want to be honest with you, that's not the right choice. The right choice. If you want to make a good showing in the flesh, follow the status quo. Do what everybody else is doing. Make no comments. Shut your mouth. Be quiet and live like the world, like they want you to live. Pursue the American dream. Make the entirety of your life about getting more money, a bigger house, more cars, a good retirement. Fall asleep like the rest of the world, and the world will be pleased with you. Because the moment you wake up and you start living radically like Jesus, you're going to get a target on your forehead. You start bringing the lost and destitute in your home. You start preaching the gospel to people of other world religions. You start praying for people and ministering to people in public places. You're going to find them, and they'll find you. And they will hate you because they hate the truth, and you're bringing the truth. Jesus just assumed that the world would hate his disciples. He looked at them right in the face, and he said, if they hate you, Know that they hated me first. But I tell you what, church, those are comforting words for me. Because our boast is in the cross, a scandal, senseless. We are viewed as fools, not because we are fools. We're viewed as fools because it's for Christ. Jesus faced it first. He endured it to the end. He persevered through it. And now he sits enthroned in heaven. His spirit resides in us. And if that's true, then we can persevere to the end too. We can make it too. If that is true, how much more should we be living our lives like the salvation of the world depends on it? Because guess what? It does. How are they going to hear if no one ever says it? How are we going to say it to anybody if we never open up our mouth when we go to them? So my encouragement to you is say it loud. Come what may for the slaves of Jesus. The world hates us and our message because they love darkness. They're lost. But church, you need to hear me when I say this. We should not view people in this world with hatred or anger. 
They are not the problem. Sin, death, and the devil are the problem. We should view people as the image bearers that they are, like lost sheep without a shepherd. We should view them with a deep compassion that comes from God because we desire, like God desires, that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance, even those who revile you and utter all kinds of evil against you. Slaves of Christ boast in the cross. Slaves of Christ smile in the midst of persecution because we know our Lord is pleased. And he knows us, and he's with us because he loves us. And he'll never leave us nor forsake us, but he's also told us that those who persecute us need him too. The world needs him too. People are blind at church, enslaved to this present evil age just like we were. The ruler of this world has blinded their eyes. They worship the creature rather than the creator. And guess what? They know nothing else. And therefore, if we leave them in their darkness where they are, they're going to wander around until they perish under the wrath of God. They have no hope for the new creation life that resides in us because we let them go. Will you tell them despite the danger? Will you live for Jesus despite the cost? Christ is our Lord. We bear his mark. The spirit inside testifies that we're slaves of him. Do you live like a slave? Do you live like you're already marked by Christ and you're willing to be marked in whatever way the world has to offer for Christ's sake? What's promised for the slave of Christ in this present evil age is not comfortability. It's not a life of ease. It's a life of persecution. Oftentimes, I'm going to be honest, people don't live radically for Christ because of fear. We fear man who can only hurt the body, and we put God on the back burner who can cast both body and soul into hell. And we live a life full of fear of men. A life full of fear of men is a wasted life. Fear God. Now hear me, do you want to grow in the fear of God? Let me encourage you to start by pursuing a deep love for him and knowing the love that he has for you, that he showed you at the cross. Because guess what the scriptures say? There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. There's nothing to be afraid of, church. What is a mark on my body for the sake of loving Jesus? (laughs) It's just a temporary scar. It's just temporary. And it's only temporary for the sake of those eternal scars that are on my Lord's hands and my Lord's feet and on his side that he so graciously endured the cross for me. What is it worth? It's worth everything. It's worth everything. So I'll close with this, verse 18. Verse 18 is the hope that will keep us going when persecutions arise. The grace of Christ is with our spirits, brothers and sisters. New creation counts for everything because we have Jesus. And if we have Jesus, we have everything that we need. Everything. May the grace of Christ be with each one of your spirits as you seek to live a new creation life, one filled with hope because the Lord will one day make all things new, one filled with risk because Jesus is our reward, one filled with perseverance Because the Spirit of God is our peace. And he's promised to be with us and bring us all the way to the end. Let's pray.